the glass and in. Not killing his beat to do. It's a third win against the top ten. And the Orange had him all the way. They didn't look into your heart. They didn't look into your heart. They didn't look into my heart. Three for the win battle. Bang! Boom! As the Orange do it again. The cardiac juice comes through on the road one more time. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Good afternoon, everyone. Glad to have you with us alongside Seth Goldberg. I'm Stephen Fonte. It's a Tuesday edition of Orange Nation. Another game day here in Syracuse. Orange back home to take on Pittsburgh tonight. Late start inside the Carrier Dome. Nine o'clock tip between the Orange and the Panthers. Two guests lined up for today. We've got our good friend Alan Griffin, SU assistant coach, set to join us at 12.15, as he does on every Tuesday. And then coming up in hour number two at around 1.20, we'll get to Craig Meyer. He works for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, covers the Pitt Panthers football and basketball teams for that publication. So we'll certainly dive into Pitt. We'll preview tonight's game with... You know, what has obviously become a, a, a huge game. I mean, this next stretch, Seth, we talked about it last week. This next stretch of four games, Pitt twice, Boston College and Georgia Tech. Boston College, by the way, uh, continues to look like, well, maybe the Eagles aren't so bad after all with another big win last night, beating Florida State, who had Terrence Mann. Again, Terrence Mann missed that game on Saturday down in Tallahassee in concussion protocol. He returns last night in Chestnut Hill. BC knocks him off. But in any event, tonight, obviously, an enormous game for this team for this season. Jim Beheim, in 42 years of coaching, has never lost five games in a row. If they lose That's tonight, incredible, I, by I, the that way. is incredible. He's only lost four regular season games five times. But he's never lost five in a row, and they need a, a win tonight to avoid uh, that happening for the first time. Yeah, and if they lose tonight... Uh, Where's the panic they, button? People are going to start hitting it around this area. I'll I mean, if, look, if, if, it, if it's a game at halftime, people are going to start hitting the panic button. Pittsburgh is not good, and they've got to win this game. They've got to win this game relatively convincingly, I think. And, and I know that you could sit back and say, this team's not going to beat anybody consistently. This team's not going to win any games uh, consistently, but with the way that they play defense and the offense that Pitt has shown, uh, you can win this game convincingly by allowing 50 points, right? Like, if you if you allow 50 points, if you score 65, which is like about kind of sort of where we've seen this offense uh, settle, if they can score 65, they can win this game convincingly because Pitt's that bad offensively and your defense is that good. Pitt so has not won a game that. in the ACC. They have not had a game decided by single digits they've in the lost, ACC. They've lost five games in a row more times in the last month than Jim Beheim yeah, has in his 42 That's years. That's a great way to put it. Uh, this team is not good, and we'll certainly uh, talk a lot about Pitt as the show moves along. We'll get Alan Griffin's thoughts on tonight's matchup. And again, Craig Meyer, the Pittsburgh basketball beat writer for the Post-Gazette in Pittsburgh, set to join us in hour number two. No show yesterday. Uh, we had Crunch Hockey. Crunch continues to win. Nine wins in a row now for the Syracuse Crunch. Probably best we didn't have a show yesterday, Seth, because we would have spent a lot of time on Syracuse, Florida State. And if I hear one more person suggest that Tyus Battle tried to do too much in that game on Saturday, I'm going to take this microphone and I'm going to start hitting myself in the face. I have no tolerance for that. I, and, I, and I can't believe, like, there are a lot of reasons they lost that game. Tyus Battle is nowhere near on my list, let alone at the top of the list. And I know no. that you saw it on social media. You did the post game show. Do you agree with me here? I mean, absolutely. That, that 100%. narrative that Tyus Battle tried to do too much and he has to pass. Like, I, Steve, I thought my head only, was going to explode over the weekend. Steve, not only do I not want to hear that he didn't that he did too much, I wanted him to do more. 
I mean, he was the hot hand. He was the man in that game on Saturday. Um, I tweeted it out right away, and I'm not backing off of this. It was 100% the right basketball play. 100% the right basketball play, but I don't want Tyus Battle passing on the last possession of overtime. And I, again, I understand that it was 100% the right play basketball-wise. It was the smart play. There's a wide-open man in the corner who can shoot a three or drive to the basket. It's it's absolutely the right play. Like, don't get me wrong. But Tyus Battle had been so good to that point and had gotten to the basket and had hit threes off the dribble and had scored 30-some-odd points to that point in the game I wanted him taking that shot. I wanted the ball in well, his hand at I, the end. And I would say this. If he's not going to take the shot, he got the ball to the only other guy yes. that you want to take that shot. And I would say this. On, on that final play of of overtime that, that you're referring to, it was the right basketball play by battle. Absolutely. I, I would say that Brissett, and, and maybe after watching film, he'd prefer to do it over again. The baseline was wide open, and he had eight seconds, and his game is driving to the bucket and getting fouled and trying to finish at the rim, and I know he had trouble finishing That's at the where rim the mistake was. on Saturday, but he's not a great three-point shooter. He can knock it down, and yes, he was open, but if he had just put the ball on the floor and taken it hard baseline, he's either getting fouled or the guy who was on Merrick Dolezal leaves Dolezal, and maybe he can dish it to Dolezal for a layup. I, listen, Granted, I, I know. has missed two wide open layups I, I in this game. I understand. But I'm yes. Just, the, the right basketball play was made by Battle. I would suggest I the right it. basketball player by Brissett would have been take the ball hard baseline. That is your strength, is getting to the basket. And he had obviously plenty of time. Look, I, I admitted that at, at the top. Like right. I, I fully understand that what he did was was absolutely the right play to make. I'm just watching and 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 watching that game and seeing how it had developed. Like I, I didn't want anybody else touching like I, I didn't want anybody else taking that shot. Just just given the zone he was in and, and you could say, oh, he shot a lot. He, you know, it took a lot of shots to get him his 37 points. He took 27 shots, and he hit 40% of them, and he hit 55% from three. So it's not like he was just jacking up shots wild. It's not like he, you know, needed 50 shots to get his 37 points. Like, it worked. And what he did worked, and it, and it kept them in that game. It got them to double overtime. I've made a habit out of DVRing games so that, you know, I can watch it regular speed, and I'll have my impressions and my observations, and then I'll watch it back. And then I'll see, you know, does it hold up? Maybe watch, you know, rewind it a few times. So I watched, in particular, the last four minutes of regulation and then the overtimes. Once Frank Howard fouled out, and I'm sure you you saw this going through live the first time, as did I, but then even watching back, when Frank Howard was out of the game, it was literally, there were three guys spying on battle. The guy who was guarding him and then the two wings. And it, it got to the point where... Defenders were just leaving their guys and and hedging towards ties. How and he, he still made the three right, at the I was end of say, how regulation. He made, how he made that shot at the end of regulation to force overtime again. Two guys draped all over him. There was that one play in overtime. You probably remember what I'm talking about. He starts at the top of the key. He he dribbles and like weaves his way in. Literally four defenders yes. were on him, and he gets to the basket for a layup. What he had to do, it's hard enough to score at the Division One level, especially when you're Tyus Battle and you're at the top of the depth, depth chart and you've got the top defender of the other team on you. Not only did he have the top defender on him, he had two other guys who, like in a you know in a football game, were spying the quarterback, for lack of a better term. Wherever he went, they went, and they just left Merrick. They left Howard Washington. Yep. They you know they left you know Barama when he's in the. I mean, whoever. Was closest to Tyus. They just they they left him, and you know you look at that ten second violation. That was not his fault at all. Howard Washington was about fifty feet from him. His guy left him, and you know Tyus kind of 
dribbled the ball, you know, awkwardly had to pick it up, and you know, and then there was the the ten second violation. But I guess my point is to suggest that Tyus Battle tried to do too much. No, and that's it's why insane. It is. It is insane. It, it is, and I under I, like. I'm pretty good about allowing people to have their opinions. And That's a bad one, though. That is a bad one. You know, and I I got a lot about not necessarily the 10 second violation in particular, uh, but about why is Ty taking the ball up court, and I I can't like I I don't understand that thinking. After Frank Howard went out of the game, why wouldn't you want your best player with the ball in his hands? And, and my rationale, my rationale, Steve, was if you can get him the ball. Get him the ball as early as possible because given what they were doing defensively and putting three or four people in his area, you don't know when he's touching the ball. I was just so, going to say, you don't know if he'll get it back. Right. So get him the ball early. If he's open on the inbound, give him the damn ball and let him take it up and then figure it out afterwards. Don't worry about getting him the ball in the half court. And, and just, I, I want to say one thing about Howard Washington because I, I just you know pointed out the fact that on that... 10-second violation. He was nowhere near the ball. He made a couple mistakes, obviously. I thought he played very well. For, I thought for overall. Ha- for having to go in there and you know being thrown into the fire, so to speak, and playing 24 minutes, I mean, that's that's the most he's played since... I mean, I I, I don't know. Go back to like the exhibition games. I mean, he has High school. A, well, right. So, for him to have to go in in that spot against a nationally ranked opponent on the road, play all those minutes because Frank Howard was in trouble and, you know... A lot of guys were in foul trouble in this game, obviously. I thought he played pretty well. He he did a lot of good things. But, you know, he's not quite ready for that stage. Merrick Dolajai, obviously not quite ready for that stage. You know, Barama Sidibe, not quite ready for that stage. And and they somehow forced double overtime. And again, it was because of Tyus. It was not in spite of Tyus. Yeah. I so, thought Howard, uh, to, to put a bow on Howard Washington, um, the best way I would describe him is I, I thought he was playable on Saturday. Right, like I, I think that after Frank Howard went out, particularly, he went in and and he made a mistake here and there, but he didn't do anything that absolutely killed you. Right, like he didn't do anything crippling in that game. Like he he was at least playable. You could leave him on the court for what they needed. Right, they needed 14 minutes out of him at the end of regulation and in the two overtimes, and he was at least able to give them that. Uh, you know, was he great? No. Was he terrible? No. Like he was right in the middle and. To this point in the season, playable is a step up from where he had been, right? Because he would come in for a couple minutes, he would let up a couple of threes, he would have a bad turnover, they would have to take him out. It seemed like he was at least to a point where you could leave him in a game. He's got to get stronger with the ball, but you know what? He's a true freshman, he's a point guard, and, and that's going to happen. I mean, you could say the same thing about Frank Howard at Absolutely. times. He's got to be stronger with the ball, and he's a junior, and he's been in this program. I thought Howard did some really good things. Um, to answer my own question... His season high in minutes was ten. I just I looked it up. He right. he played ten minutes twice against Eastern Michigan and Cornell. So again, I don't have the exhibition games in front of me. I don't think he played twenty four minutes in the exhibition so. games. I think you're right, Seth. I think you got to go back to high school. So for him to be thrown into the fire and play twenty four minutes and and knock down a couple shots, yeah. And again, he he knew he wasn't coming out. Frank Howard was out of the game. He knew he had to to, to play and and play extended minutes and and play well. I thought he did some good things. There's something to that, by the way. We've seen it now the last. Two two years, and, and this was a different circumstance, obviously. But last year, Frank Howard struggles with John Gillen behind him, and, and you know there's that breathing down your neck, and then Gillen takes over, and then he realizes that he's the man, right? And, and Gillen, you could see there was kind of a change once Gillen realized, like, oh, Frank Howard's not going to keep beating me out. Like, I'm, I'm going to be the point guard. 
you realize there was a change in Gillen's game. And then this year, Frank Howard comes in, and he's like, okay, Gillen's not breathing down my neck. Howard Washington's probably not going to take over for me. There's been a distinct difference in Frank Howard's play. And then Howard Washington, when he knew he wasn't going to get pulled, I think there's a distinct difference in how he played. Like, it, there, There's got to be a mindset here of, okay, I know I'm not going to get pulled. Seth, I, I will tell you, and again, I played at the D3 level, not for a major Division One college. I can tell you, though, being a point guard, that is absolutely a thing. There is no doubt about it. And I think that position more than any other, you can't think you need to play. And if you're thinking too much about, gee, if I make a mistake, I'm coming out of the game, and I lived through that, and I went, and I, I know it affected me, and you, you play timid, you start thinking too much, and you cannot play, especially that position, you cannot play like that you just need to go it's like playing a quarterback right you can't think too much you need to react to what you see and and i i think that's i think that's a great point by you it is it, it's absolutely the truth that if you're looking over your shoulder um that is that is not a good thing you just got to go out there and play we do need to take a time out we've got alan griffin su assistant coach set to join us on the other side we'll look back briefly on the florida state game with him and certainly look ahead to tonight's game and beyond keep it here orange nation just getting started on espn radio Find us on the web at ESPNSyracuse.com. ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1, 1200 a.m. and 1440 a.m. Our take on the day's top stories. It's today's business on Orange Nation. And it's brought to you every day by Grossman St. Amore CPAs. Our producer, Max Burgandy, joining us now with today's business. How was the long weekend, Max? It was much needed. Much, much needed. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. It was nice to have three days off. It was. We don't usually do that. I was surprised that we had. Oh, there's crunch. Well, there's yeah. a crunch game. Yeah, I know that. I oh, mean, okay. I was still here. Yeah. Well, right. And I still like worked. Right. And I still worked a new show. Right. What did you do yesterday, Max? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Oh, okay. So it really wasn't a three-day weekend for no. us. Well, I got one. So good. it was nice. Well, for good. Me. I hope you're rested. So I hope you came. Yeah, but you know what? As as a a positive, there's no game on Saturday. So. I hope you came to the table with some good ideas today. Since you had all of yesterday to think about what we were going to talk about today, so yeah, that's a, that's exactly what I spent all day yesterday. Go doing, was thinking about what this. do you got? The NCAA will meet soon regarding immediate eligibility for transfers. The main point of discussion in these meetings will be that if a student athlete earns a certain GPA, which they've set at two point seven or two point eight, he or she will be eligible to transfer immediately without sitting out a full year. How do we feel about this? Overall, I don't hate the idea of letting kids transfer without having to sit out a year. Um, you know, that you're you're giving them non-competes in a, in a sense, but you're also saying they're not employees, so there there's always that kind of odd back and forth that I don't really love. Um, but at the same time, if this is going to be your fix, uh like and you want to actually keep up this charade of like student athlete, do you want to set the bar higher than a C plus average? You know, like, I, I just, I don't know. Like, if, you, if you're like, hey, academics is important and academics is half the job, but, like, if you get a C-plus average, you're good to go wherever you want, whenever you want. Um, I, I You know, I don't I don't see how the two mix. Again, I wouldn't have a, I don't think I would have that big an issue if you didn't have to sit out for a transfer. I certainly wouldn't mind if that ridiculous ACC rule that if you transfer from an ACC school to another ACC school, you sit out the year and you get docked the year. I certainly wouldn't mind if that went away. Um but, you know, I, I don't know is if this is the route they're going to go down. I don't know that the threshold is at the right point. Can I, can I play devil's advocate here for a second? Absolutely. 
If you could transfer without there being a GPA element to it and not have to sit out... It would be free agency. Theoretically, couldn't you transfer every year, go to four different schools in four years and never go to class? Yes. Because you just need to stay eligible, quote-unquote, for the first semester. Right. And then you don't need to go to class after that. Right. I I like the idea of putting the GPA element to it and 2.8 or 2.7 and I understand what you're saying you're setting the bar low but I think you really that, are but that at least ensures that that the guys are going to class that you have to meet a minimum requirement and 2.8 I think it gives you some margin for error right like if you're a B student you get B's across the board but you have one class like you just what for whatever reason you missed a paper or you know you just you don't get it or you know and you you don't do well and you get a you know say a C is a 2.0 sure, yeah. so you get a C it gives you a little margin for error that if you're a pretty good student otherwise you get A's and B's and you get one C and you fall below you know 3.0 that 3.0 threshold I'm fine with it I actually like the idea a lot I I think to have a an academic element to it it makes sure the guys are going to class. It doesn't just open it up and make it true free agency like you're talking about. I don't know that I love that. Like I, I keep going back and forth with this of like I see how you can make the argument of like, no, there shouldn't be any restriction at all. You should be able to transfer without penalty. You're giving kids non competes, but you're also not calling them athletes and you're not compensating them more than their scholarship. Like I, I see that whole argument, but like I, I don't know that it's necessarily good to do a free for all because of what you said. Um, and I know the coaches are absolutely against sure, it and, and hate that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess the GPA requirement is the best way to put it on. You know, to, it, that that's probably the best way to go halfway. It rewards the you know? kids who go to class. Yeah, and I don't think that's a horrible thing. No. What about this though? Um, Missouri Valley coach Barry Henson believes that basketball would be split into two divisions, specifically saying that mid majors. Um, the players would be poached from mid-major schools, and then they would go to uh, larger schools. And well, that well, already that happens happened right in football? Now. Well, that already right. happens but right I'm now saying, with the fifth-year grad transfer rule. That, right. that's a, and the mid-major coaches absolutely hate it, yes. the, the fifth-year grad transfer rule, because that's where, by and large, the big programs are, are getting these guys who, you know, they play for three years, but, you know, they redshirted their first year, they play for three years, they got a year of eligibility left, they graduate from... Wichita State, maybe that's a bad example because Wichita bad example State is good. In the tournament. Yeah, okay, yeah. they graduate. Colorado State, like John. Gillen. Fine, Colorado State, and where are they going to go? They're going to go to, and I'm not even sure I would consider Colorado State a mid major. No, a but true mid major would be like, uh, like Buffalo. The, like Buffalo is sure. good, but they're not contending for national titles. So you go to Buffalo, you redshirt one year, you play three years, and now you, you get go a taste and, of the tournament. But right, you want more. and you want to go to you know Syracuse or North Carolina or you know. UCLA or, or whatever the case may be. So it, it already happens with the with the fifth year grad transfer rule. So I understand that the mid major coaches hate it. I think coaches by and large will will hate if transfers are immediately eligible to play. Um but I, I don't mind the, the academic element to it. And Not, also aren't we aren't we also head I don't know necessarily that we're heading towards this, but but can't you see a future where uh division one basketball is a lot like division one football and uh, by that I mean there are what 130 or so FBS teams. Uh, there are 360 uh, D1 basketball teams. Can't we see at some point a line being drawn and a and a separation being made of 
you know, some of these conferences, whether it's the, you know, the, the smaller, you know, extreme one-bid leagues that wouldn't even get a bid if they weren't, you know, getting that automatic bid. So you are know, you suggesting, you know, FBS and FCS to some degree with basketball? Don't you think that at some point we're going to see that? Maybe. Like, it feels like the ha- like the haves and the have-nots and, and just the gap between these, the I'm not even talking about the Power Five conferences, but, like, talk about, like, in, in basketball, the, the Missouri Valley or the... Uh, the Big East, or uh, you know, the AAC is pretty good at basketball, and and the WAC and the Mountain West, like even those, and like some of the lower level conferences that get automatic bids, like the gap there is big too. Yeah, but in football, Wofford is not beating North Carolina, and you know, it it doesn't happen. Like it happens every once in a while, like Appalachian State beating Michigan. Like it'll happen every once in a while. But in basketball, it can happen. It's it's five on five. You know, you get a stud or two on your team, and you get a senior laden group. You can beat one of the big boys, especially the way college basketball is these days. With you know, all the best players generally are freshmen and sophomores for the top programs. So, right. Um, Whereas in football, they cannot compete no. on the same level. In basketball, you can, they can sorta. on any given night. I know it sounds like a cliche, but it's true. Well, I mean, look at Marvin Bagley, reclassed, and all of a sudden he's younger than everyone and he's dominating yeah, everyone. Right. Uh, you brought up grad transfers. The other thing that they're going to vote on in these NCAA meetings will be guaranteeing the scholarship length for graduate programs, considering graduate programs, uh, most of them are two seasons, so they'd have to guarantee the scholarship for two full seasons. Just the last part of that story. That I found, but moving on, I wanted to talk a little NFL playoffs. Uh, the Jags lose or beating the Steelers over the weekend. Some uh, Steelers ownership—it's uh, limited partners actually—they want to fire Mike Tomlin. Is it time for Pittsburgh to move on from Mike Tomlin, who's never had a losing season as the Steelers head coach? Never had a losing season. Won a Super Bowl. Bend it to makes the playoffs all the time. It's the same question. Anytime you ask these kinds of questions, the question they in response is, who, well, who do you get? In, who are you going to get? Who are you going to get? The main frustration coming from the fact that they can't beat the Patriots. It seems like they underachieved in the postseason. But nobody yeah. can beat the Patriots. The Patriots have been to the AFC Championship game seven times in a row. The last time the Patriots weren't in the AFC Championship game, they got beaten by Rex Ryan, Mark Sanchez, and the Jets. Like think about how like think about how long that long ago that feels. Isn't this kind of like uh, Joe Girardi? Like yes. you could say, well, it's you know, ten years is a long time, and it might be time to bring in another manager and fresh blood and you know, new way to look at things. And I, I think Tomlin's a good coach. If it, it's getting a little stale in Pittsburgh and they want to move on again, who are you going to get? Um, well, it seems like all the the best candidates are already degree. right. It's a gamble to some degree because yeah. he's a good coach, so you better get a good coach in return. Um, but again, I I understand that sentiment that eh, it's a little stale. We need we you know we might need fresh blood. In the here. other thing was uh, they were griping about how they have handled Le'Veon Bell and the Antonio Brown Facebook Live video from last year. They think that he kind of is kind of very laissez-faire with the whole locker room and that he needs to step in and just demonstrate a little bit more leadership. So, I don't know. I, I agree with Steve, but one more thing off the top of your head before we go. Of the three, obviously Tom Brady's the best. Of the three remaining quarterbacks, who's the best in the NFL playoffs? Case Keenum. Agreed. You think so? Yeah. Not, not even a question. Not Blake Bortles? No. Not even a question. Not my boy Nicky Foles? No. Uh, that was today's business brought to you by Grossman St. Amore CPA, located in downtown Syracuse. Grossman St. Amore CPAs provides businesses and individuals with tax planning and tax preparation services and strategies to help minimize your tax liability. 
Learn more about how Grossman St. Amore CPAs can optimize your financial opportunities for your business online at gsacpas.com. One quick time out. We'll wrap up the show right after this.